Folks, great to welcome uh, our guest this week to the Irish NFL Show, former NFL executive who has his, only, his, his very own podcast, The GM Shuffle, writes articles for The Daily Coach, involved with VSIN.com. Now the third time for him to join us, very supportive, really, really appreciate it. Michael Lombardi, uh, a warm welcome back. Thank you much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, uh, uh, it's always good to do that. I was with, uh, I was out at VEASAN to about right at the draft and the owner of the, uh, of the, uh, the South Point Hotel, uh, Michael Gaughan is his name. Uh, he has a home in, I don't remember the name, but it's an Irish town that you all vacation in along the, the, the sea. I forget the name of the town, but it's a popular vacation spot. And he goes over there and I was telling him about your podcast and I was telling him about how you guys love American football and the South Point's an incredible venue. But he go, I forget the name of the town, damn it. But he goes over there and he says he just watches it rain all the time because he lives in Vegas where it never rains. <laughs> It, it does rain here a lot. I'm not going to lie. That's one thing that, that it's one thing that hasn't changed here, Michael. Before you even get into it, this has been a crazy few months, hasn't it? Have you ever seen an offseason like this before? No, nah, I mean, we say that every year, but I think more than ever, I think desperation runs runs hot now. You know, there's Bruce Springsteen in one of his, his songs. He says, sometimes I can't tell my courage from my desperation. And I think this offseason is symbolic of that. It means teams are making uh, what appears to be somewhat desperate moves, and they probably think they're being courageous. I mean, the whole notion that these quarterbacks were first-round quarterbacks going into the draft was ridiculous, but yet the media has spun that story in that direction. So, you know, and you take one, and all of a sudden you think you have your answer, and you don't. Michael, you touched on this on the GM Shuffle in, in recent weeks, but um, this is the time of year where everybody's in the best shape of their life. Everybody's, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the new schemes are, are settling in, and, and hope springs eternal. For yeah. you, where, who who has genuine hope, and 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 who maybe has um, in in terms of teams who maybe weren't so good last year, and whose hope is mm, desperately misguided? Oh, you know that's a great question. You know, I, I think to me, Seattle's misguided with hoping that Geno Smith or Drew Locke can be the starting quarterback. I think they need to evaluate that because I think they could be a better team. They were seven and ten last year. I think they could be vastly improved uh, if they could get some stability at quarterback. But I, I, I very would be very concerned going into the uh, this season with Geno Smith or Drew Locke. So, you know, I, I don't care what they look like in camp. I can't imagine that come game time, that's all going to transpire and be really good. I mean, look, I, I think Miami's got a lot of great skill players, whether Tua can play and be effective, you know, you're never going to hear a bad word about Tua coming out of Miami. I mean, they're programmed to do that down there. You know, how about when they put that video out of him throwing the ball deep down the field and Tyreek Hill had a most fair, it looked like the infield fly rule in baseball. It was like he had to stand there and wait for it, but we're never going to hear anything negative. So I'm more of in a wait and see mode. I don't believe any of the positivity, but I do believe what I've seen last year is it going to be good enough, you know? And I think that's the concern. And I wrote a column for VEASAN that we always talk about all these new players coming in. But I think the reality of it is some of these guys, Patrick Mahomes, for example, everybody thinks he's great and he is great, but he didn't play great last year. He had the worst year of his career last year. Nobody wants to talk about it, but he did. He's got to play better. Lamar Jackson's got to play better. Ryan Tannehill's got to play better. When those guys play better, then their teams will play better. 
Michael, that brings me to my next question, which is kind of linked to Lamar Jackson. You know, this time of year, everything is getting scrutinized. And Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, neither have turned up for training camp. But the burning issue, obviously, is the contracts. One scenario where Lamar Jackson contract seems to will get resolved and nobody's in a kind of an immediate rush to get it resolved, where Kyler Murray has seems to be in a, a rush from day one of the offseason to get his contract. Who's going to bring force on that scenario? Is it going to be the Ravens because it's more amicable or is it because the Cardinals will get more desperate because they, they don't want a situation where Kyler steps away and doesn't play? Well, the, the, the Cardinals are desperate. I talked about this today on my pod. I mean, I don't understand what their rush is, really. I mean, I think Murray's rushing because he wants to make sure he gets locked into the guarantees almost as if he doesn't know if he can continue to play well. Like, I don't think Murray's played great. Now, he's missed two games. He has not been healthy during the periods. And if you look at the faltering of the Cardinals at the end of the season, in the last two years, they have not played well. I mean, last year, last game of the season against, against Seattle, he did not play well. In the playoff game against the Rams, did not play well. I, I don't understand how you could be Steve Kime and turn around and give Murray 48, 50 million a year. Because when Rodgers got 50 and then Deshaun Watson got the 240 guarantee that came out to 45 per year, you're talking about a lot of money for a guy I don't know if I'm right on. You know, like, is he a bona fide superstar? Is he a top five player? The answer to that is no. Is he a top 10 player? He's a top 10 playmaker when he runs around like, you know, with a roadrunner and it's beep beep and he's flying all over the place, right? But is he a top 10 quarterback? No. Do I want to pay 45? I don't know what their rush is. Lamar, I get a sense of patience with the Ravens. They want to pay him. They want to pay the 2019 Lamar. They don't want to pay the 2021 Lamar. So there's a little bit of a conflict there. I do think that'll work out. But when you commit to this deal in the third year, you got two years left on a deal. Murray's never won a playoff game. You know, he's, he's dwindled towards the end of the year. Like, and here's the other fact. He's not well-liked. Like, he's not an endearing player to the team. Watch the games and tell me Murray is really loved by his teammates, that they're all gathered. Like, he's an indifferent player. And you give him all the money, what do you do to your locker room? His body language is very off-putting at times. Huh? His body language is very off-putting at times. I, I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. His body language isn't great when he's on the field. Oh, no. His body language is horrible. It's horrible. And I, and I think, to me, that sends a bad message. I mean... You know, Draymond Green in the NBA uh, was telling Steve Kerr, Steve, when your body language bad, it affects our team. So when we turn the ball over, stop acting like a three-year-old, you know, stop acting bad. Well, Murray acts bad all the time. He's like, oh, he looks, I mean, A.J. Green's ran a billion routes and he's over there criticizing him for the route. Like, make the throw. Like, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. And the GM is putting all his chips in the middle of the table, which I think is professional suicide. Welcome to the NBA there. Maybe by the time this goes out, the Celtics will be in the NBA Finals. Uh, Omar Khan is the new GM of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Are you Michael. the NBA Finals over there? Are you guys staying up for this? I, I, I'm not. It's too late, Michael. Maybe like game six, game seven, when it gets really into it, but it's too late. Like it's at four or five in the morning and it goes on and on. Last night's game, Michael, started at 2 a.m. here. Uh, they start here at nine o'clock. I don't stay away. I, I get through the half. And then what I do is I go to you, YouTube in the morning and I watch the game on the YouTube. I don't, I don't look at the score until I see, you know, I watch it. It's impossible, <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, it's cool. Maybe we can do like a game seven live thing if we get to that <laughs> point. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, Omar Khan, new GM uh, in Pittsburgh, obviously an internal hire, Michael. Do you think at any point the Steelers would have looked externally or is it more just consistency for them? I think you got, you know, I wrote about this in my book, my new book that'll come out. I don't know when, but it, it, I just actually finished it. But in the book, I, I, I talk a lot about Chuck Knoll. And in 1969, Chuck Knoll actually was, wasn't the number one candidate to become the Steelers head coach. Joe Paterno was. Paterno had just won the Orange Bowl. They beat Kansas, believe it or not, uh, in the Orange Bowl, the great John Riggins, Kansas team. And they offered Paterno the job. He accepted it. Then he turned it down the next morning. They brought Chuck Nolan. And when they did that, Chuck Noll had a great ability to evaluate talent, really good. And he rebuilt that team. And he rebuilt that how that organization operates. And they have operated that way since 69. And it's been really successful. They've won 51 games the last five years. They've been very successful. They've won more Super Bowls. Tomlin has been wonderful as the coach. Everybody knows their roles. The general manager doesn't speak out about the coach. It, they're, they're, so I think it makes sense. Omar will do a good job. He knows what he's strong in and he knows what he's weak in. They've hired this kid, Andy Waddell, from the Eagles to be the assistant GM. I think you'll see the, the pretty much the Steelers behave in the same way that they've always done. Well, uh, one thing, and I'm just I'm really interested in your opinion as you know somebody who's been there, done that in, in terms of the, the front office role, but Baker Mayfield, right? Ignore it. Like, so they, they trade for Deshaun Watson. My feeling was if Mayfield wanted out that he, his best play would have been show up day one and, and, and be there front and center, put the attention on him rather, but instead he stayed away. He stayed away entirely, which to me makes things a lot easier for the Browns. It gives that puts them in the driving seat rather than, than Baker. Am I way off base on that or, or how, what way? I'm just interested in your thoughts on, on that and, and what do you think plays out with, with Baker? Well, I, I think Baker should stay away. He's got 18 million reasons to stay away. I think the one part that you made a point about, if he comes in and gets hurt, they're on the hook for the 18 million. They're on the hook for the 18 million anyway. So that 18 million is really his leverage point. And so they can't, they can't take the deal away from him. They can't really screw around with him. So that 18 million is counting on their cap. They just did Clowney's deal and they had to do a five-year deal that reverts to a one-year deal basically is what it is. So that, that pressure of that number is waiting on them. When they made the Watson deal, they really felt like they were going to suck, get a second-round pick for, for, for Bayfield. They were calling teams saying it'll take a, at least a two and a three, and they got hung up on. And now they're fighting with this reality of what are we going to – Nobody, everybody wants them to pay the $18 million. Nobody, Somebody will trade for Mayfield, not a lot, because there's really no – what's the value in trading for a guy whose contract's up you know, we don't have the cap. I mean, Carolina would trade for him tomorrow if the Browns would pay the 18 million, but they won't. They're trying to hardball that. And that's the holdup. You can't bring Mayfield in your locker room and say Deshaun's here. You know, Deshaun's in the OTA days. Whatever happens to him in suspension, it's his team now. You just gave him 240 million. He's in charge. Brissett knows his role. Mayfield comes in, it kind of upsets the kettle. You don't know what to do. And you can't really examine it. People say, well, they're going to keep him in case Watson gets suspended. I don't think that's the case. They got to get rid of him. They'll get rid of him, I think, sooner than later. 
And in terms of the 49ers and Lance and, and Jimmy G, do you see a situation where they hang on to Jimmy or do they end up trading him within the division because Seattle find out in camp that they actually need a QB? Yeah, I, I don't think they'll trade him in the division if they could help it. I think they're surprised, you know, that the shoulder thing's holding the Jimmy G thing up. I mean, that's what's really, nobody wants, nobody knows the level of, of the shoulder injury. People are concerned about the shoulder. What do we do? How do we handle it? So that's been tying that up. I, they need his capper. That, the Debo Samuel deal is tied up in a Jimmy G's paragraph. They don't want to pay $24 million for a guy that they're not going to start a quarterback. So they're going to have to do something, whether they cut him, which they don't want to do, or whether they try to trade him to somebody, but they're going to have to sell the, the, the shoulder is not a problem. And shoulder injuries for quarterbacks, especially their throwing shoulder, is problematic. Michael, time and time again, we've, we've heard GMs and head coaches say the player is not going to be traded, only to be traded a week or so later. And draft night, A.J. Brown gets traded to the Eagles. The Titans team, was they were number one seed last year, offensively, they were a bit inconsistent and they've already been giving away their best player now. And with the, with the Colts taking Matt Ryan, I mean, is that swung that swung the balance in the division? You know, I just wrote about the Colts today for VEASAN online at VEASAN.com. Uh, here are a couple of things to know. The Colts are 14 and 10 since Frank Wright's been there in the AFC South. They have not dominated the teams that they play there. They've lost to some of those teams they shouldn't lose to. But I think Matt Ryan really makes them better. Tennessee, I always don't think they're good enough. Now, I think they're better on defense. But their offense, Burke's got to come through big time for them. And he can't stay on the field right now based on any of the OTA days. He's out of shape. He's not in great condition. They're having a hard time keeping him on the field. Their skill players are not the same. You know, not that Julio was very good last year, but, you know, with Robert Woods coming off the knee injury and then they don't really have a proven receiver like an A.J. Brown, it's going to put the pressure on Tannehill. And I think we saw Tannehill – he started to decline last year because of it. Now, they still have Henry, and they still play great defense. But I think there's a lot of questions about that. I think the Colts should be the favorite. I think the Colts, with the addition of Matt Ryan, I think he's going to be excellent. Jonathan Taylor is one of the best receiving backs in the league. He averages nine yards a catch. Not many people realize that. I mean, Camaro averages nine three. This guy averages nine. I mean, he's like Camaro and what he can do. He's not as flashy or as, you know, makes your head spin, but he's very effective. And he caught 40 passes. Hines caught 40 passes. There's 80 catches there between the two running backs. So I think Ryan will help offensively. Defensively is their biggest concern. I know Eberflus got a head coaching job, and that's great for him. But last year, they were number one in the league in turning the ball over. They were great at that. They were not great in a lot of other areas. Think about this. They played 28 minutes and 12 seconds of defense on an average per game. And in 17 games, the offense ran 1,050 plays against them. Their offense had the ball 32 minutes and 40 minutes and 40 seconds, and they only ran 1,057 plays. So the point of that is, is even though they're playing less defense, they're still giving up too many plays because they're shitty on third down. They don't get off the field on third down. And they don't, if they don't turn the ball over, you can move the ball on. So the Colts' challenge is defensively, and I think with Gus Bradley and John Fox, I think that will help them. Final round of questions, Michael, for a last one from me. We've seen, uh, well, especially today, Coach Ron Rivera, you know, really bigging up and talking about the uh, new facilities for the commanders and, and the way that they're trying to improve the franchise. 
yet we still have the big question mark around the ownership of, of Snyder. Um, there's nothing more after the ownership uh, meetings this week. When do you think and where do you think this ends up? You know, unless they can prove he did something wrong, he'll still be the owner. I mean, look, he's still making a ton of money. They just spent $100 million for land in Virginia. They want to buy a stadium. You know, they need to clean it up. I mean, that facility that they're working in right now goes back to when George Allen was the head coach in 1971. You know, they've added on to it and all that. But he it was a state-of-the-art facility when he built it in 71. They, they need a lot. They need an image. And, and their fan base is really declined. When I was a kid growing up here in this little beach town called Ocean City, I was a, I was a Redskin fan because of Vince Lombardi. That was the last team he worked for. And I loved them at RFK Stadium. One of my heroes in life is RFK because of RFK Stadium. But what he's done to that fan base is really almost criminal. It, he's ruined a great thing, and yet there's not going to be able to take it away from him. Going from um, the the NFC East to the AFC West, where you now have family ties, yeah. um, it's been quite the off season. Obviously, the the Broncos bringing in Russell Wilson, but they have a first time head coach in in Hackett. Um, the obviously the the changes there with with the Raiders, who made some very impressive signings. The Chargers have had a really impressive off-season in terms of who they've brought in and and Staley's in his second year. And Andy Reid is Andy Reid. But as you pointed out earlier, Patrick Mahomes wasn't quite Patrick Mahomes last year. What way do you see the AFC West playing out, Michael? I think that's a hard one. You know, I, I think a lot of it, let's go Denver quickly here. You know, Russell Wilson's got to use his legs more. He only rushed for 183 yards last year, which is not, which is the lowest he's ever done. He stopped moving around, and that lack of movement prohibited him from making the Russell Wilson cookie plays. You know, I said that I wrote a column, and I said that, you know, last year he was a short order cook. He wasn't a, a gourmet chef. He was he was working in a diner here in Jersey, you know, and he needs to change that. He needs to move. He needs to move around a little bit, you know. So that's going to be the key for Denver, how well he plays. Look, he's going to play better than Drew Locke just by osmosis. So that's going to give them a huge lift, and they'll get some home field advantage that they haven't had lately because of, of their quarterbacking situation. I think the Chargers uh, are still really a good team. Herbert just puts them in another category. Obviously, Mahomes is well, – I think he'll rebound. He'll play better. Will they miss Tyreek Hill? Yeah, I think they will miss him, but I think they'll be a difference team. Andy Reid's too good of a coach not to make the adjustment. And, and look, I think the Raiders – with Josh McDaniels, I think Carr will be really good. I think they'll continue to improve. I think the key for the Raiders is going to be do they have enough defensive linemen to compete in a division you need defensive linemen. I think it's wide open. I think a lot of it's going to come down to durability by those four teams. I mean, not, not very many divisions in this the NFL have four quarterbacks that you could arguably say are four of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league. Michael. Michael, every time we have you on, our, our viewing numbers shoot up. Um, so I wouldn't want you to be on the show and not have an opportunity to talk about your new book. I know writing is a passion. Um, Great Iron Genius is a fantastic book. But uh, do you want to enlighten the people on this side of the world about the book in which you're writing at the moment? Well, I'm writing a book, really. It, it, I don't know the title of it. We have a, it's a, a journey through the Hall of Fame, essentially. So what I've tried to do in the book is I've written 10 chapters about the NFL, about the coaching trees in the NFL. There's five coaching trees that really most every coach comes from. And then I've written about the influences of the NFL, the, the TV, the draft, uh, trades, those kind of things. That's 10 chapters. 
And then I rank the top 100 players. And every player has a specific write-up on why I ranked them. And it's not strong points, weak points, summary. It's not that. It's a story that I try to tell about the player, whether I was involved, whether I've watched the player. Because, you know, one thing about being old, you know, I've seen a lot of these guys, you know. And so, you know, I was when I was a 24-year-old kid, I watched Ronnie Lott. I watched Joe Montana practice. I didn't know what the hell I was watching, but I watched them. You know, and so now that I can reflect back on it. So that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a book about a journey through the Hall of Fame and try to give fans some perspective of the whole game. Michael, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And, you know, the, the support that you've given us since we've started that has been impeccable. We, we cannot thank you enough, man. And we wish you all the very, very best with you your so new much. book and, 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 and the ventures that you do. And hope to have you on maybe, um, if not before the season, during the season. And uh, I'll link your socials below and uh, enjoy the rest of the off season. It's going to get very busy very quick. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Have a great night.